You know, it always fascinates me that you and I have the opportunity when we sit here in Butler, PA, to impact the world. I mean, it still blows me away that God chooses to use us to do that. What you see there is students from the Dakar Academy in Senegal, West Africa, who every January go out and minister to a number of villages around the area. In your sermon notes or in your bulletin this morning is an insert that talks about the missions project that our students are going to work for this week in Vacation Bible School. Every single night here, four to 500 kids are going to gather from 645 to 9, hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, look for a church or maybe find a church that they've never seen before, and really be involved in what God's doing. And they're going to raise money every week so when, or every day. So when your kids come to you and say, hey, Dad, hey, Pap, can I have 100 bucks? Or <laughs> they could. I have a quarter, a dollar, a dime, or whatever that may be. That's what that money is going for. In that insert, it talks about all the things that we're able to do or going to be able to do. Every year, these kids continue to intrigue me to raise four to five to seven to $10,000 to minister overseas through Vacation Bible School. We want you as adults to know that as well, so pray for them. Also, right now, our students from this church, 43 of them plus the sponsors, are in the Dominican Republic. Landed yesterday afternoon, going on 2 o'clock. Going to be ministering all week in a variety of ways. Not quite like that, but in a number of different ways. And I know they would covet your prayers. That God would protect them and keep them safe and bring them back safely way late next Saturday night. So if you could do that and pray for them every single day, I know they would appreciate that. You ever have times in your life when things didn't go well? Or maybe not as planned. I'm not talking about dinner not going well or a project not meeting a boss's expectation or a presentation not going as good as it could have, but a, a time in your life or maybe a number of times in your life where what you thought you would be and where you are don't match. Maybe a time in your life that you think back on it where I thought I would be or what I thought I would be doing or what I thought was going to happen at that particular time and what really happened didn't seem to go together, didn't fit how I thought it would go. Maybe you're there now and you're saying, where I thought I would be at this stage of my life and where I am right now just don't match. Could be a result of timing, life, bad choices you've made or someone else has made, but either way, you're there. You know, one of my favorite guys is Max Licato, and he writes in his book, In the Grip of Grace, a story about a guy who made some bad choices. His name was Charles Robinson. He was 19 years old, really wanted to get some money, went to a bank, filled out a loan application, and left. Somewhere along the way, changed his mind, opted for a quicker plan, returned a couple of hours later with a gun and a note. Teller complied. All of a sudden, he's standing there holding a bag of money. Figuring the police were on their way, ran out the door halfway to his car when he realized he left the note with the teller. Figuring maybe that somebody would put the connection together, ran back to get the note, ran out again, only to realize he now left his keys for the car that he was to get away on the counter. Panic settled in, went to a restaurant, went to the restroom of the restaurant, took a tile, pulled it back, put the gun and the money up there, and left. Scurrying down through the alleyway, finding himself back at his roommate's place, who met him with this saying, where's my car? He had borrowed it from his roommate, not telling him what he was going to do. Instead of confessing, he made it worse by saying, your car was stolen. So his roommate did what he would do, call the police. The police, who heard about this and realized that there was a 
parked car that nobody was moving about a block from the bank, put two and two together, went back to the bank, got the keys, put them in the car, and it worked. They went to the address of the person who reported the missing car, found Robinson. He confessed, charged with robbery, put in jail. No bail, no loan, no kidding. Some days it's hard to do anything right. It's even harder sometimes to do anything wrong right. He's not the only one. If we're really honest, every once in a while, many of us have found ourselves in a place where we've made some really bad mistakes and things didn't go as planned or didn't go as well as we thought they would. I want to return to Moses this morning, actually for the next couple of weeks. You're in Exodus chapter 1 this morning. A couple of weeks ago, Dave and I planned everything. We talked about what we're going to do, a kind of list of characters that we're going to be dealing with. And two weeks ago, we dealt with Moses, and then I said to him, I'm going on to Joshua on Father's Day. He said, I, I just thought you'd stay with Moses. Man, there are so many good things about this guy's life. I said, oh, we will. We'll be with him for the next three weeks after Father's Day. But on that particular Sunday, there's no way... You can talk to men without talking about Joshua. I want to spend the next couple of weeks in, in Moses' life. There's some incredibly valuable lessons that I think we can learn from his life. The Holocaust that many of us are familiar with during Hitler's reign over Germany and the Nazi destruction of millions of Jews was not the first time the Jewish nation came under attack by a wicked leader. You're in Exodus chapter 1 right now. If you remember a few weeks ago, we talked about Joseph and so did Keith, and he talked about his life and how God took him from that position of being sold by his brothers into a land of slavery, only to rise to the top, go to jail a couple of times, come out of jail, be welcomed and received, and almost to the top level of leadership in a nation of Israel. By the time you get to Exodus chapter 1, Joseph and all his brothers died. Verse 7, but the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in number, became so numerous that the land was filled with them. Then a new king, who knew nothing about Joseph, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, these Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we've got to deal with them shrewdly, or they'll become more numerous. And if war breaks out, they'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. Jump down to verse 22. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all of his people. Every Hebrew boy that is born to you, throw him in the Nile. Every girl will live. Now a man, chapter 2, of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child. Now, let me stop there for a moment. What mom doesn't say that? I mean, what mom doesn't say when I go to the hospital, visit them after having birth of a child, as we talked about even here this morning, and you saw some of them here, this is the finest baby. This hospital said this is the prettiest baby that's ever been born in this hospital, right? Don't they all say that? And we all agree with that. Every once in a while I go there, and they'll tell me that story, and I'm going, well, that's a baby. You don't know what to say because it's, never mind. If I ever say that to any of you, deny it that you ever heard me say that in regards to that. She saw that this was a fine child. She hid him for three months. When she could no longer do that, she got a basket. Now, you're familiar with that story. She took it, coated it with tar and pitch. She placed him in the river in that Nile along the reeds by the bank of the Nile. Now, no mom does that, hoping that somebody will find him. So you got to believe that somewhere along the way, she had seen Pharaoh's daughter get down by the Nile and thought, okay, I've got a plan. He's going to be found. She can't do what she knows her dad said to have to happen to all these little boys. 
And she's going to take him in. You have to believe that she believed that. And so when she put him in that basket and sent him down to Nile, it wasn't the naive thing that somebody was going to find him. She probably knew what was going to take place. Pharaoh's daughter comes along almost as if she predicted it, saw the baby, rescued it, ended up hiring his mother to raise him. One day, chapter 2, verse 11, after Moses had grown up, he went out there to where his own people were and watched them at hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people, looking this way and that way, seeing no one. He killed the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. The next day, he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked one of them in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you did the Egyptian? At that moment, Moses knew somebody had seen what he had done. Afraid, thought what I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses. But, God, but Moses fled from Pharaoh, went to live in Meridian, where he sat down by a well. Okay, seriously, nobody got that. Okay, you got that? All right. Meridian, not Meridian, Midian. Okay. You know, the first service got it. I thought you'd be awake by now. Exodus 2.15, you see him sitting by a well in Meridian. He must have thought at this time, I feel like I should be at the bottom of the well. Here I am sitting in a desert, most likely thinking his life is over, probably never going anywhere from here. The Egyptians don't want me. Hebrews don't want me. I don't even know if God wants me. Does he even know I'm here? Where do I go now? You ever felt like that? Are there times in your life when you've blown it and you wondered, could God ever use me? Or times in your life when you've gone through a dry period and you wonder, how long is this going to last? And what will the next chapter look like? It's been a long time since things have gone right in my life. It's been a long time since I feel like I've heard from God. I mean, how long is this going to last? How long is this dry period going to last? What's going to happen next? Do I even have another chapter? I don't know if you've ever been there, but it's exactly where Moses is at. This whole experience for Moses is as different as day and night. He was trained in the courts of Egypt, probably had advanced training in hieroglyphics, science, literature, military tactics. Now here he is trying to make a living on the backside of the desert raising sheep. Nothing wrong with raising sheep. It's just not where he expected he would be. I mean, this guy knew a lot, incredibly wise. Hebrews will tell us that. He knew everything about everything at that stage in his life. And here he is on the backside of the desert raising sheep, wondering, is he going to stay there the rest of his life? Will there be any more chapters, let alone the next chapter? But one thing we'll discover that God wants to say to some of us in the room, maybe all of us in the room, maybe one of us in the room, he is not done yet, and he certainly knows where you're at. No matter who we are, no matter what our backgrounds, we're all on the same level every once in a while. We've all had failures. You know that phrase, failure is not an option? That is not true. Or at least it shouldn't be. Sometimes we understand that, but failure can be an option. Because you know as well as I do, there are times that we learn a lot more from failures than we do successes, right? You and I are recipients of an amazing gift from one who loves us just the way we are, flaws, failures, and all. It's a gift called grace, which is why we call it amazing. 
All through Scripture, you see evidence of the fact that God uses broken people. Next Sunday morning, you're going to have sermon notes. It's going to tie these sermons together, but there's a verse in 2 Corinthians that said, we have this church, this treasure in earthen vessels, ordinary, fragile pots, so that the surpassing greatness of God will be found in him and not ourselves. By the time you come to Exodus chapter 3, Moses has been in a desert for 40 years. That's a long time to be separated from the specific plan and purpose of God. So often we read scripture and we go from chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, and we almost see them as sequence of events the next day, the next year. Now obviously you realize that sequence of events from being found by Pharaoh's daughter to when he grew up. So you knew there's a period of time, but it just simply goes to the next chapter. And then you go to this situation here where he's sitting by the well wondering when the next chapter is going to open up. What you and I don't always realize is this is a 40-year span of time. Not a whole lot of us in the room, no matter how spiritual you are, if you've not heard from God and you think you've failed him and he's not spoken for a long period of time and you don't know where and when the next chapter is going to be, that you would stay faithful for 40 years and be in a place where you could hear. And so often when we look at these sections of Scripture, we almost march through them as if the time goes by so quickly. And what you and I need to understand is that it doesn't march by as fast as possible. Joseph sat in a jail for years waiting to be rescued, still stayed faithful to God. Here Moses is, 40 years waiting to hear. Thinking he may never have another chapter in his life, you come to chapter 2, verse 25. So God looked at the Israelites and was concerned for them. The word concerned is very well translated here. It means he really takes a deep interest in. It's not just simply take notice like you see in some of the sections of Scripture. It's not like God looking down going, huh, didn't see that one coming. It means that God has a deep interest in what he sees and what he understands. When you and I feel disconnected from God or maybe feel like he lost interest in us, maybe doesn't even know what's going on in our life, we need to see through the example of Moses is that God clearly has never lost sight of you and is totally aware of our condition. What we need to understand from Moses' story is that God has never lost sight of us and is totally aware of our circumstances. Maybe we wish he would react faster, quicker, differently. I just need you to know that Moses just simply says, God knows where you're at, and he knows what you're going through. Moses will come to be able to understand that God's concern for him and his concern for people were specific. Chapter 3. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There an angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames, a fire from within a bush. Moses saw, though the bush was on fire, didn't burn up. He thought, i got to go over and see this strange sight, why the bush didn't burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called him from the bush within, saying, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. Don't come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place that you're standing on is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father, God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I heard them crying out of their slaves' drivers. I'm concerned about their suffering. I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians, to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land flowing with milk and honey. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So go now. I'm sending you to Pharaoh 
to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Three things you'll have in your notes next Sunday morning that God is saying to Moses. Moses, I know where you live. I know where you're at. Maybe you don't think I did. I do. Second, I know your name. God says Moses' name twice. And any time in Scripture when God repeats it, it's usually pretty important. Moses, Moses, verily, verily, I say unto you in the New Testament. God knows us personally. Not just generically in knowing the world, knowing there's people, knowing that CAC exists. He knows you and I personally. He calls him by name. And thirdly, he says, I'm not done with you. Now, those three things have been true about Moses for 40 years. God never forgot where Moses was. It's not like he had to go to one of the angels and say, get a GPS. I have no idea where he went after he killed the Egyptian. Somebody see if you can find Moses. I know he's in a desert somewhere. Most of Israel's a desert, so we've got to find him there somewhere. He said, I know exactly where you're at. Secondly, he never forgot his name. And what happens on this remarkable day is that Moses gets to see it, hear it, and feel it. Every once in a while, not often, maybe not for a long period of time, but every single once in a while in our lives, God will lift back the curtain for a moment and let us see a little bit into his plan. This is an ordinary place, an ordinary bush, on an ordinary day, doing an ordinary task, his everyday job. Moses is going to have to be told this is a holy place. He doesn't know it. Nothing extraordinary about it at all. An ordinary place. Verse 7, God says, I'm concerned about my people. Verse 8, I will deliver them. Moses may have thought it was his responsibility to deliver them and do it his way. God now says, I want you to understand, I will be the deliverer and I will use you. What fascinates me about this and Peter's denial of Jesus in the New Testament, in either case, in Peter's and Moses, God and Moses' case, and Jesus and Peter's, never reminds them of their failures. Never once do I see God coming to them or Jesus coming to Peter saying, well, did you learn your lesson? I know I've done that with my kids. I'm sure maybe you have as well. Did you learn your lesson? You never hear statements like, going to take me a long time before I trust you again. Fascinating to me that God doesn't do that in either case with either of them. Sometimes Christians who have been forgiving much aren't very forgiving themselves. Sometimes Christians who have been forgiven much aren't very forgiving themselves. Sometimes we don't forgive and forget well. We need to be reminded every once in a while that we need to treat others like God treats us. This morning I want to look at three nuggets. Uh, we were in Israel a couple of times a number of years ago, and every time we would go to a particular place, a tell or a site where they were had done some digging or felt like there was a village there or a place there, we would pick up pieces of pottery or a handle every once in a while and kind of just take them with us. It was okay to do that. It's not like I stole them. Take them with us and then when you look at it, you remember that particular place. Oh, that was where the Israelites lived or that's where this village was or that's where this group was. And you'd find a handle of a pot that you knew probably was two, three, four, five thousand years old. And it reminded you, as you'll see next Sunday morning, of the longevity of God. And every once in a while you look at these and you'd think, wow, God, that was a fascinating thing that you taught me during that particular period of time. One time I was by a stream that, that the instructor thought maybe have been the stream that David picked up some of the stones to kill Goliath. And so I brought one home with me. And every time I look at that, I'm reminded that God still does use us, as insignificant as we think we are, 
as small as we think we are, as weak as we think we are, take on some pretty significant giants. This morning, three nuggets I want to share with you, three things that I want you to take with you. First one is this, God speaks and moves in extraordinary ways through ordinary things. Sometimes on ordinary days, doing ordinary things, whatever else a bush is, it's ordinary. In and of itself, it isn't worthy of much respect. The dogs that I used to have in my neighborhood did not respect the bushes around my house at all. A bush is a bush. It's plain and ordinary until God decides to inhabit it and use it, then that ordinary bush becomes extraordinary. And when that happens, we need to pay attention. God is doing something here, and I don't want to miss it. Sometimes God delights in revealing his glory and telling us truth through ordinary things and means. Sometimes God reveals himself through ordinary people. Many times through kids. It's going to be fascinating this week to watch 400 kids March through this place over and over again, trying to keep them in line, all tied together at some point or the other with these little ribbons and bows to hopefully keep them in the same place, in the same building, because every once in a while we have what we call a runner. (laughs) And then find ourselves in positions as teachers or people who are just watching or serving in a cafe of some of these incredible lessons. I love kids. They're so unbelievably honest. They tell you what they think. They tell you what they feel. We do prayer requests. I'm teaching fifth grade because Coe's and Ever are away this week in Dominican Republic, so I'm back and teaching fifth grade after a seven-year hiatus, and I no longer am going to challenge them to a race because those days are gone. That ship has sailed. And then we talk about prayer requests, and they pray for everything. And they tell you everything. They're so unbelievably honest. Every so often we have starting point here in the last year where we say to people who have been here for the last few months, why don't you come and We'll we'll serve you lunch, and we'll talk about our church, and then just tell us what you're looking for or what we do. And I do it in membership class all the time. What brought you here? You cannot believe the amount of times that I've heard this question answered this way. My kids. That's why I'm here. Youth group is amazing. Our children's department is unbelievable. When I went to church, we had to drag our kids to church. Remember, my parents said, you're going no matter what. And now these kids are coming and saying, wow, I can't believe this place. And they're saying to their parents, I want to go to church. Parents are going, absolutely, no problem. Every once in a while, God uses the most amazing things to speak his amazing grace. Paul said to Timothy, don't let anyone ever look down on you because you're young. This week in Dominican Republic, these students are going to be in places and positions where all of a sudden, in an ordinary setting, in an ordinary way, in an ordinary person, they're going to hear God do the extraordinary. So pray that they're open and listen to his voice. You never know who God's going to use. Some of the most amazing things God has ever said wasn't always through great speakers. God can use a friend, a mate, a teacher, a mechanic. My life verse, one of my life verses comes out of 1 Corinthians 1. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. And I remember back to being called in the ministry. Not many of you were wise by human standard. Boy, did I know that one. I was just hoping to get into seminary. Not many were influential. You weren't born of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. Chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world, the despised things, the things that you didn't think meant anything so that no one could boast but in him. If your expectation is that God only speaks to extraordinary people, you may miss the burning bush. 
Our faith shouldn't rest on extraordinary people, but on an extraordinary God who delights in speaking and moving in extraordinary ways through ordinary things and people. If your expectation is that God only speaks and moves in the context of splendor, stained glass windows, and great oratory, you may miss a burning bush. Why? Because God speaks in extraordinary ways through ordinary things. We've got a beautiful place to worship here. But there are a lot of people who don't have a place like this. They find God in gyms, in conference rooms, in rented facilities and homes. And yet God decides to invade those ordinary places with his amazing glory. And when he does, don't worship the place. Worship him. Many times God reveals himself in a song. One of my really good friends sent me a song this week called Broken Pieces by Matthew West. You've got to listen to it. It is incredible. We're going to play it next Sunday morning as the service begins. About how God delights in taking the broken pieces of our lives and put them together and invites us to the banquet table of the king. All of a sudden something happens in that special moment. You hear a song that maybe you've heard before. And now all of a sudden in a setting or a place you listen. And now really hear the words or hear the setting. I've heard all the songs we sang this morning. I've heard them before. You've heard them before. Except the one Brad sang. And I listened very carefully. In the first service, it was just an emotional moment of listening and giving him praise. Other times, you've heard a song a hundred times. And now all of a sudden, God, in this moment, in that setting, something you can't recreate, he speaks. I believe that one of the reasons God delights in speaking and moving in extraordinary ways through ordinary things is to be sure that the ordinary thing doesn't get the glory. God often speaks through music, but don't worship the music. Worship the God of the music. And when God speaks, recognize it and listen to it. So many people have said, I wish God was still doing burning bushes. I still wish God was speaking burning bushes. Man, if I just had a burning bush and I heard the voice of God, then I would know for sure what he wants me to do. He still does. It may not be in that burning bush, but I'm telling you, he still speaks. Maybe we're looking in the wrong place for the wrong thing. God delights in speaking in extraordinary ways through ordinary means, like our kids, like music, like a friend, like a walk in the woods or a bush in the middle of the desert. On days sometimes when we're doing ordinary things, and when he does, nugget number two, don't miss it. When God does speak in extraordinary ways through ordinary things, we need to pay attention, slow down, Recognize that maybe God's saying something right now, and I don't want to miss it. It could happen in the middle of a service. Middle of a sermon, quit listening, get the CD, go online, spend some time with God. I love verse 4. There's two fascinating things this Sunday and next that I want to point out. Look at verse 4. When the Lord saw that Moses turned aside, then God spoke. When the Lord saw that Moses turned aside, that's when God spoke. When he stopped, slowed down, and listened, then God spoke. And because the voice of God is such an extraordinary thing, but spoke in such an ordinary way, do you think Moses could have missed it? You and I could as well. Suppose you never heard the burning bush story. I mean, you didn't grow up in church, you never heard Moses in the bulrushes in the basket, and you never heard the story at all. And all of a sudden, one day, you saw a burning bush that didn't get consumed. What would you do? Would you run toward it, run away from it? Or maybe try to put it out? That could preach. 
Ever felt like God moved and spoke, but because you were afraid or didn't know what to do, you tried to put it out? Or maybe you want one so bad, you want so bad for God to speak in ways that he used to, that you think he used to. We try to light our own bush, or maybe we're so afraid of what God's going to say that we see the bush and we put the fire out. Or maybe we miss it all together because God didn't fit in the box we have him in. Maybe we missed it all together because it didn't fit in the box we have God in. I believe that God speaks in a variety of ways, and when he does, we need to pay attention and listen. Because sometimes in ordinary days, in ordinary settings, the extraordinary happens. And if we're not careful, we could miss it. In Washington, D.C., in a metro station on a cold January morning in 2007, a man played a violin, some of the best pieces Bach ever wrote for an hour. During that time, almost 2,000 people would normally go through the station on their way to work. About three minutes in, a middle-aged man stopped just for a second and then kept on going. A few more minutes, somebody threw in their first dollar. Didn't even stop, just dropped it in kept on going. After about six or seven minutes, a man leaned against the wall to listen for a minute, then looked at his watch and marched on. A number of children looked, but every single one, without exception, was forced by their parents to move on quickly. During his continual playing for 45 minutes, only six people stopped and listened for a short period of time. About 20 gave money, but then continued on at their normal pace, collected about $32 in his violin case. After an hour, he finished playing, and silence took over. No one noticed. No one applauded. No recognition at all. No one knew this, but the violinist was Joshua Bell, one of the greatest musicians in the world. He played one of the most amazing pieces ever written on a Stradivarius violin worth $3.5 million. Two days before, he sold out in a theater in Boston where they paid $100 a seat to listen to him play. It was part of a social experience organized by the Washington Post, to see how people would respond to the extraordinary in an ordinary day. Their conclusion was this, and listen to it. If we don't have a moment to stop and listen to one of the best musicians in the world playing some of the finest music ever written with one of the most beautiful instruments ever made, how many other things are we missing because we rush through life? That's a pretty fascinating conclusion by the Washington Post. If we don't have time to stop and listen to one of the best musicians in the world playing some of the greatest music ever written and one of the finest instruments ever made, what else are we missing? Third nugget is this, and we'll pick up there next Sunday morning. When God does speak and we know it's Him, we better listen. We need to respond and recognize at that moment we're on holy ground. Don't come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals. The place that you're standing on is holy ground. And when you recognize that, you don't want to miss it. You want to carefully listen to what he wants to say. Because the extraordinary God of the universe decides to use ordinary people like us, playing ordinary instruments, to speak truth. Don't want to miss that. God, all I could think of this morning is the 43 from our church who were in the Dominican Republic who are going to see some unbelievable things. And I pray, oh God, in the name of Jesus, they're so open to hearing you in the midst of the ordinary that they don't miss that. And not just for the moment or the day or the week and come back. I've been changed forever, but really changed. 
so speak. All this week as all of these students and teachers come in and out of this place, it'll be so full of filled with energy running over the edges. I trust that we won't miss that incredible moment as that little one embraces Jesus. That parent looking for a church finds us and says, this is what I've been looking for for a long time. So help us to, to not miss the moment. And Lord, as you speak in a variety of different ways, when we walk out of these doors this morning and back into our world and our home, and throughout this week, help us to be so aware of who you are and what you want to do and what you have said that we won't miss it. So, Father, speak. Help us to hear. Who do I say I'm representing? 
What is your name? Who do I tell them sent me, Moses said. God's answer to that question is fascinating. We're going to talk about that next Sunday morning. And you don't want to miss that because I think there are things that we're going to share next Sunday morning that maybe you've never seen about his answer to that question. Keep your eyes wide open this week. God's going to speak. Don't want to miss it. Have a great, great week. I can pray for you in any way. Let us do that. Otherwise, see you tonight, tomorrow night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night. It's going to be a fun